Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for May 24th of 2019. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh for HockeyHits.com. Uh, this is going to be a Phil Kessel podcast. If you do not want to hear about Phil Kessel, thank you for the download. <laughs> but um, we are going to talk about all the trade rumors surrounding Phil. Uh, we're going to break down what makes sense, what doesn't, why we got here. Um, we have a very specific trade offer that apparently has been tabled by the Penguins that we will talk about. Um, and, you know, whatever else under the Phil Kessel realm that we uh, think of, we will discuss today. So first things first, Phil officially put into a deal to the Minnesota Wild um, with with Jack Johnson, pretty bittersweet pill going on right here. <laughs> yep. Um, for Jason Zucker and Victor Rask, he recently traded Nino Niederreiter out of town. No, Victor Rask. It was to, you know, this. You and I both think that getting rid of Jack Johnson is addition by subtraction, right? So big addition. So do you? <clears throat> If you try and weigh up this particular transaction, like the, what's coming back for Phil, if it was just those two back for just Phil, it's not enough, quite clearly. Does the whole you're rid of Jack Johnson balance it out enough that the things that you're going to lose from Phil are covered enough by the reduction of Jack Johnson to ice time in Pittsburgh with the skill sets that the other two guys bring along? Now, I know Rask's. Um, cap it is larger, but his output is better. So is that gap between Jack Johnson and Rask enough to balance this thing out? Because as you said on Twitter, and I love it when you say this, you trade Phil Kessel, you don't have Phil Kessel. Yeah, so first, before I think I even want to tackle that, what, why are we trading Phil Kessel? Because the coach is a dick. Like, that deserves uh, a logical answer. And as I've said from the second they traded for him, it's okay to reevaluate his position on the team, both short and long term. Every offseason, they should. Um, if they want to trade him, they should be doing it from a, a position of strength, whereas I think all the dirty laundry has aired now, plus his eight, he can only be traded to eight teams with um, without his consent. Now you're just kind of moving a, um, a self-made poison pill and tanking his own value, and he's still a really good player. So that part's really frustrating. And when I hear about it's because he's insubordinate to Mike Sullivan, and, and I'm not advocating for players to be insubordinate, but at the same time, um, you know, it's easier to find coaches than guys that are a point a game that just went 92 points, 82 points in back-to-back years. And, oh, by the way, he never misses a game. Yeah, and the complaint that you can have about Kessel is that he should have missed some games two years ago because he was quite clearly playing hurt, and that was detrimental to, to Pittsburgh. Um, so if you get there and say, does he care? It's like, well, fuck you, he cares. I, the other thing is, it's not just Kessel that's rubbing up against the coach. It's a generational superstar center that's also rubbing up against your coach. And both those guys love each other. 
it's like, what do you do if you get rid of one guy? How's that going to make the other go? Like, there's there's more to this than just the Kessel aspect to it. It's like, you flip him out of the room. I haven't read anywhere that says the players don't like Kessel, that the players find him a problem. I, I, and I could have missed that because of, of where I live and and um, the difficulty I've had staying as focused on hockey in the last you know two or three months as what I normally do. So how how does the dynamic of, of shipping feel for quote unquote uh, insubordination to the coach? I you know what I mean? Like there's more to this dynamic than just what happens on the ice and what happens between him and the coach. There's the whole player thing as well. He likes poker. Seriously, that's the problem. Yeah, uh, certain pay for site that used to write about Simone Dupre's poker issues uh, just came out with one of those for Phil. What is it with what is it with Pittsburgh and gambling with their in a, in a, with the NHL superstars? Wasn't that Jaegar's? Wasn't that how they helped Jaegar walk out the door? Like, I don't understand. It's the only it, reason the team's still in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was the casino deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to get that part out of the way before we dive into if the trade that was with the Wild makes sense or what do they because uh, the trade didn't happen. What what can they do from there? I I did want to clarify that. Um, you know, I'm open to the idea of trading Kessel, but this is um, railroading him out of town. He is going to be traded kind of situation, and that that's. That's not the place you want to be moving um, high-value targets because last time I checked, ask the Buffalo Sabres how they did with their little culture change with Ryan O'Reilly, um, who will be playing in the Stanley Cup final this week and as a Selkie candidate. Yeah. You, you, the, the whole move the coach, much better idea. I, I don't know what the attachment is for any... Like, yeah, the two cups, great, but these guys get hired and fired over and over again, and he's not running some special system that gives them success. I mean, it's about putting the players in a proper position to succeed, and he stopped doing that the last two years. So um, if, if you're pissing off the, the really talented players, then for me, that's an easy, okay, we'll try over – We'll try again somewhere new, and that part's the frustrating part to me because. Oh, just, <clears throat> it, sorry, keep going. The whole Phil Kessel's tough to coach thing. Um, no, he's not because he's going to do what he's going to do. <laughs> he's well, not going to change regardless of. You know like, what you're going to get from him every time. That's he's the on thing the when you sign up for Phil Kessel, you're getting Phil Kessel. That that is what you're getting. You have to accept. All the great, and you know there is bad with that too. But like yep. you got to own the bad too, and just like be like that's the cost of doing business for um, what I think is a net positive. And we can talk about um, his even strength um, possession numbers and such, which haven't been good as expected goals and things like that. Um, and how he is a huge liability defensively, at least last year he was. That's that's all legit to talk about, but um, I would also remind everybody, 
I bet you can't guess who is top. Uh, who who he shared the ice with the most defenseman. <laughs> and he's gonna get stuck with him if that trade went through anyway. Maybe that's why he maybe that's why he he, he said no. <laughs> I'm not playing so, there with him. No, no, no. So so the two guys that Sullivan's having a, a quarrel with both of them play the, their top defenseman was Jack Johnson. Malkin and Kessel. So it's you look at the coaches that Pittsburgh have gone through. You've got Bylsma, who had... Actually, go back to Terrian. Terrian lost the room because he was too much of an ass, Like, too hard. Trying to enforce his will upon the players. You get to Bylsma, and you go... Bylsma was a, a, a player's coach. Got to the point where he couldn't make an impartial decision because he got too close to the players and therefore wouldn't make a tough call on certain guys, i.e. pulling Fleury when he should pull him, i.e. playing guys like Craig Adams far too much. You then move on to... Who was after Bilesma? Mike Johnson. All right, so Mike Johnson just looked like a deer in the headlights, no idea what he was doing. Uh, 2014-15, they were actually a pretty good team and only had five defensemen at the end of the year. Oh, I forget about the... I forget about the... Now, 2015-16, it was a gong show yeah. before um, Johnson got fired. He was really bad his second year. But the first year he coached, um, Sid's offensive numbers were a concern, but overall, like, the team's underlying numbers were decent, and they were a pretty good team. They just caught an injury. Like, Latang from yeah. fucking that piece of shit Shane Doan... Um, hitting him dirty and then like having the cap issues that were self-inflicted that were the only five guys down the stretch and burned them out. I just feel like Sullivan is trying to justify his existence at the moment by, you know, you're right. He sort of got there, gave the team a little bit of a different structure, a different attitude on the ice and it, it worked. And then you get there now and it's almost like he wants to go, well... Well, the league caught up. The league is, adjusted. To but that's fine. The tal- there was enough talent there that they still could have kept doing what they were doing. You just have to play the right pieces. And I suppose, as a coach, you can only play with the pieces you're given. But you don't have to keep playing bad ones when you have other options. And he did. And it's a little bit like the whole Babcock thing. Um, Babcock... Uh, is so pig-headed in his attitude towards what he is as a coach and his processes and all that kind of stuff that he has no he has no wiggle room. He it's it's his way or the highway, and that's that to me feels like what happened with with Sullivan this year. It, he was going to do it his way. The players were going to have no input in it, and the superstars were going to have to suck it up. And when you get to adults and pros. It's not one rule fits all. Never has been, never should be. The superstars have a different set of rules than what everyone below them does. It's just a sheer fact of the matter. And Kessler's one of those guys where, like you said, you can't hold him to the same defensive standards as you would somebody else because of everything else he provides. Those other noobs lower down the lineup can't do what he can do. So they can't make up for their errors. He he was bad defensively this year, but not an argument, not an argument. But he's even more story. so than his norm. But 
I, I'm sorry. I'm, I cannot separate Jack Johnson from the down years, well, quote-unquote down years, of Denny Malkin and Phil Kessel. Gee, Sid Sid had an MVP caliber year. Well, he gets force-fed Latang. I wonder if there's a correlation there. <laughs> I I would love to see, and we it's impossible to do unless we um, keep Johnson and, and do it next year. No. If if Malkin, yeah, well, I know. <laughs> force-feed Latang to Malkin all year and give Sid Jack Johnson, and I would love to see if Sid is a Hart Trophy candidate again. If he was, maybe I shouldn't short either. sell him because it's Sid. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, come on, yeah. that's ridiculous. I know, and I can't believe that's not pointed out more. Like everybody, I pretty much everybody, even the people that were pro Johnson, even through like, oh, he switched his other side, he's better. Oh, Justin Schultz is back, he's better. Even though like they're the worst pairing in the league, pretty much. Even those morons have come around like, oh, well, maybe the contract's not that great. And it's like everybody knows this guy sucks, including Rutherford now, who's put him in a trade. Yeah. Um, maybe he's that bad to where he fucking tanked two really good offensive players at even strength. And there's a correlation to be had there. So, um, yeah. It's, it's just <laughs> yeah, the... You could fill... So, the whole me throwing it on Sullivan in regards to the little spat that's going on here, it was a, it was just a blind refusal to shift Jack Johnson and whoever he was paired with away from Malkin and Kessel until Schultz got back. And then it was like, it made sense to me to have Schultz paired with Gino. Like, you know, that makes sense, that half of it. Do you blame that on... Sullivan ultimately, or do you sit there and throw it on the defensive coach whose name? I throw it on Rutherford. You give a shit option that's being force fed. No, I, like I, that's I, not fair to Sullivan. I get that aspect to it, but at some point you do go. They had seven defensemen there for a while, technically eight, that they could have been playing two other guys, and just praying that they don't get, you know, don't get beat to the outside all the time. I just. It just annoys the hell out of me that there well, was no flexibility. He, he played him like a top four. <clears throat> yeah. It's unacceptable. Like, you cannot... Like, he has all the resources available that I have, and then some. Well, he has six and, and at the end of the night, he put Jack Johnson out there 20 minutes a night and put him in high-leverage situations. And... Um, Gee, it didn't work. It's almost like he put on that penguin's crest and it didn't change the fact he sucks. <laughs> this, I look Chalk at, up another one for Gancho. I look at this... Well, good point, actually. I no, look at this no, roster... No, no offense to Sergey. I didn't mean it like quite like that. No, but it's Just a narrative that, that narrative. does like to get pushed. This roster's okay. A, a little bit of tweaking here and there, and I, I think this team can can be on that bottom end of the whole can win the Stanley Cup, not in that big group of teams that are, should make the playoffs. Do you know what I mean? Like, you start getting to that point where... Remember how Detroit just kept pushing and pushing and pushing just to make the playoffs? 
and you you saw what it cost them in regards to their ability to get futures and to rebuild. Well, Pittsburgh can see that with their binoculars right now. That's exactly what I was saying. They're getting very close to being in that window. And as a fan, as soon as they hit that window, I want them to just shelve the whole playoff idea, ship everything out, and and go for the recycle and and start going for the youth and all that kind of stuff and trying to get some high-end high end draft picks like top fives and stuff like that. But they're not there yet, not with this current roster. But oh, a we'll bad, see after this summer. A bad Kessel trade can really lob him into that, oh, let's make the playoffs and maybe we'll get to the second round, but we're not really going to be good enough, even with Matt Murray playing lights out, to get to the conference finals and the Stanley Cup finals. So, yeah, this summer is, is a really big summer for this franchise. It just sucks they got to the point where like they're publicly automatically trading Phil Kessel, who can only really be traded to eight teams. And those eight teams know it now. And I don't know what kind of leverage. What if Phil keeps saying no? If, if I'm Kessel, I, I keep saying no. Just, just flat out say no. And I mean, the team sells it for 12 cents on the dollar. And then they all just look like knobs. Oh, I think that 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 is something they would do. God, I think they're to the point to where they're there. I don't think there's a path for, back for Phil. You reckon he's gone? Uniform. You reckon he's not going to play next year with the penguin on his chest? No. That's so disappointing. That's depressing. It is what it is. What it is. And you could have, in, in a different alternate universe, that could still have been the case. But much like how Game of Thrones sucked this last season, it's about how you get there. <laughs> Pop culture reference, nicely done. It's about how you get there, and how we've gotten here sucks. Yeah, yeah. There, are, there were always Phil Kessel discussions to be had. But coming off 82 points and that's considered a shit year, like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell people. Like, And then what do you think is going to happen to the power play? Not that they don't have talent. They, having Malkin, Crosby, and Latang, um, and Gensel, like, the power play is still going to be good. But the dynamic of having Phil on the left side being able to not – just be there but to run a power play from the left side and pittsburgh being able to run a power play from the right side and not having it matter and they could organically find their two-on-ones yeah they're going to go back to being a right side power play that forces more things than they have in recent memory because phil spread the ice that well i thought he he found lanes great. He, he I, I love Phil's choices on the power play. I, he was an, let's say it in past time, he still is an excellent power play player. So it's one of the Penguins' best strengths is now going to take a take a hit. So the the obvious answer to that is you whack Gensel over where Kessel is, but he's the wrong hand for yeah, but you how that works. Just, what are you, Schultz maybe? But, you know. You're not playing too def- you, Yeah, and... The only other right-hander they have that regularly plays on the power play is uh, Hornquist. And you but that's can't. not going to be that spot. Correct. That, that's exactly right. So <laughs> Hornquist on the run in a half wall. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that would be something. It's 
it, it's really weird. Like you and I sit here, we do a podcast. You write every day about this team. If we can see this stuff, how the fuck is it that these guys seem to want to blow this thing up the way they are? Like you said, it's how they get to the point. And how is it that they've got to this point where you are right, if it's out there that they're going to move him, they're going to get less than that 12 cents on the dollar coming back. And, uh, you know, they're not going to get a top five draft pick from one of the teams there. And what was that draft pick going to do you anyway? Because it's not going to be a play now player. Well, let's let's shift back to that original deal. Now, the eight teams. If Phil's smart, he puts Toronto, Boston, um, teams like that on his accepted list because teams in, in Tampa and Washington and Philadelphia because those are teams the Penguins aren't going to trade them to. Just put the entire division in there. Right? So yeah. it's it's almost, I don't know what his teams are, but... You know, a smart agent would be like, hey, Toronto's not going to want you back. Boston's not going to want you back. Philly ain't going to make a trade with uh, the Penguins in 2019 for Phil Kessel. Washington's not. Like, you sizably cut that list down pretty quick. Quickly. You can almost make yourself untradeable. Exactly. Um, I don't know what the situation is with that. We'll... I bet we'll find out in the coming weeks and months. But, um, you know, he he has the option to say no, and he said no, according to Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic, uh, to Minnesota. I can't blame him. I mean, Minnesota is one of those teams that their win-now window was like two years ago. <laughs> yeah, it just, just didn't get they're, right. They're paying the bill the Penguins are going to pay in like two or three years right now. Yeah, yeah. And their GM, you're looking at it like – um, you just traded Niederreiter for Rask, and now you got to, uh, no thanks. So, as far as that Minnesota trade that we've ventured away from for a bit there, <laughs> um, I don't, it's not terrible value. It's, it's not, because you get your Kessel replacement and Zucker. The bad contracts, I, I don't like the fact that Rask is four mil, but I feel as though you can hide a fourth line forward easier than any defenseman because that's you know brutal. there's only three pairings. That's brutal. You get there and go, we're getting rid of a three point seven five million dollar third pairing defenseman to put two a, five. Sorry. And then a four million dollar fourth liner in. Like you get you know what I mean? Like you go, what? Yes, and it sucks, and we knew it was that we knew getting rid of Johnson was going to come at a cost. Yeah, you can't do that for free. So let's um, let's talk about some of the pros for Jason Zucker. He's younger, but he's 27, so it's he's he's not young, young. He's just younger. Um, he's fast, good skater. So like that's. I, I like hearing that because the Penguins do need to play faster. He plays all three forward positions, and when you combine that with Bugstad playing center or wing, I think there it does create some lineup flexibility uh, for Sullivan. And um, he scored 30 goals uh, once, but he fell back to like 21-22 last year. So his points per 60 has climbed... Uh, to top line levels a few times, but it's also climbed below like third line ish levels a few times. 
So it's it's like that Marc Andre Fleury say percentage roller coaster. <laughs> yep. Um, I think his biggest positive that I saw was his expected goals for percentage was near that 55%. And playing for Bruce Boudreaux, being a, a fast player that's pretty okay, like you're, you could see your numbers inflate because I think Bruce does a great job of uh, getting his. I, I just like the way Boudreaux coaches his team. So I do wonder yeah. what I do wonder what it would be like if they just traded coaches. I would love it. Yeah, so would I. Like you think about um, how fun those Washington teams were under Boudreaux. Say, say Pittsburgh don't win another cup, like through this period, and, and it's that's a very likely scenario considering the ages and the ages of the players. Yeah, and it's reasonable too. Yeah, imagine how much fun we'd have at the end of the Crosby Malkin era watching him coach that group of players with the team. Like it would be great. I yes, sign me up. But <laughs> Zucker was not a, a complete product of that system. He was a positive relative player, and significantly so. He was a driver of the expected goals, not um, not a passenger. Well, um, whereas Phil's expected in. goals has been not so great. It has a four in front of it, and he's been a negative expected goals player the last four years. But Phil is consistently a top-line producer at both even strength and on the power play. And you're not going to get... You, you know how you'll hear... 92 and 82 points the last two years. I mean, that's a lot. That's a truckload. You hear it a lot on panel shows and in-game broadcasts and stuff like that. Goals are hard to get in this league. Kessler will constantly consistently get you goals whether it's himself or the fact that he gets assists like you think about it it was 80 82 goals he helped score this year like that's the reality of, of, of how it works so you're not getting 82 goals back from the two players that are coming from the wild yeah and Zucker's offensive production this year it's almost like a Brian Rust. At 5.5 yeah. mil. That's that's the thing. And we were complaining about what Rust's production was at 3 point whatever Rust is. Um, Zucker's, of course, shown a higher ceiling uh, multiple times. But just to show you what he's coming off of is, you know, something that was bitched about in Pittsburgh. Uh, at, 20, uh, at, at 27, though, or 26, is... Is that likely to change and improve? Like the the window is sort well, of quality of teammate matters, and I he will that. he will certainly get a, a bump in his center if he's not the if he's not the center. Um, playing with Malkin, I suppose, would be the logical um, person to put him with. I would think. You'd think. So. I would leave that third line together with Bugstad, Simone, and Hornquist, and and put. If this trade were a thing, which it's not right now, put Zucker in Rust with Malkin, and then Gensel and McCann with Crosby, and you know, it's not a bad lineup, but you still look at it and it's a little bit like, eh, yeah, it's, it's not, yeah. it doesn't compare favorably to some of the other um, nope. teams that are legitimately contending right now, particularly in the East. Like you've got the Tampa Juggernaut, which is still a juggernaut no matter what happened in the playoffs this year. Boston were always good this year, and 
Toronto were always good this year. Yeah. So... I think... No. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I have a feeling somebody had his garage door open. <laughs> um, I want... Yeah. I, yeah, want I muted that for a bit. Holy fucking shit. What's going on over there? Ah, uh, you're right. The garage is open. It's a sunny day. It's beautiful. Uh, although I did see some Jehovah's Witnesses in the neighborhood earlier, so I might have to tell them the rapture's not coming here. That certainly wasn't the Jehovah's Witnesses then. No, but <laughs> I, I kind of almost want them to come now. <laughs> Get some good podcast fodder. There's, um, there's no... like. I just feel like they're looking to trade the wrong guy. The Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah. No, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be Hornquist. I, I would I would prefer them to get 60 cents on the dollar for Hornquist than what they're looking at with Kessel. Yeah, but the Kessel thing, I mean, if, I agree, and I think we... I, We've done that. We've covered that. We, we, we've covered that. We think Phil shouldn't be... We shouldn't be in a situation where he's automatically out the door, but he is, so I think we need to frame it with him gone, even though you're right. You're not wrong in what you just said, but that's not the reality I of it. I can't so. believe you feel that he's so out the door, he's out the door. Like, Well, the Bob father said it, so... Fuck. <laughs> you didn't know that no no I, the, basically god has spoken that's the problem it's a pretty authentic reaction to a bob father uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. bit of news oh man christ there is no getting out of this there is yeah the, yeah that's i've sort of all the way through this podcast been hoping that it falls apart to the point where he stays and that's just not going to happen now oh, fuck off so that's my point. What if Phil keeps saying no? They're well, still going to move him. Well, the, yeah. Well, that's even worse. I, I know this. And it's funny because there you, you got Rutherford. You could have told me this before, you told me this before the podcast. Jesus. You could have told me this before the podcast. I've walked in blindly to the Bob Father speaking. Oh, God damn, man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're so right. you have Rutherford holding his cards, bluffing this value, but what if they call him on his bluff and he's got to show his cards? He's going to lose the pot. Kind of ironic when talking about Kessel and his gambling problems. Boom, Tish. Um, I, the other thing I don't understand is, what is the problem with players gambling anyway? It's their money. What they do outside of club time doesn't make a rat's ass a difference. Meh? Eh. Can't can't speak for them. You know, I don't I don't understand. It's like uh, anyway, it shouldn't so, make a difference. Another part of this trade that I've seen, and one that you know, at least for me, gets huge eye rolls, is um, Sean Tierney of the Athletic tweeted, and this is not a uh, criticism of Sean. Sean just tweeted the information that he has on his data visits, which are great. He's really good at it, and he's a great follow to, to get the information. Uh, but he was using Evolving Wild's um, goals above replacement. And Zucker is like a 
seven something goals above replacement and Kessel's 2.2 and he framed it is this really the Kessel trade maybe it's the Zucker trade and it's like okay here we go with the 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 goals above replacement um you know it's no secret I, I I I can't get down with this model I can't. I won't. It's it's stupid. <laughs> and I'm going to point out a few things um, on why I feel that way. I looked at the Penguins' um, goals above replacement today. Yeah. And on Sean's data viz, which is great, makes it easy to read. Um, so Olimata is basically the same value as Chris Letang. Okay. <laughs> Hornquist was better than Malkin last year. Last year's Hornquist was better than Malkin last year. And previously with these models, Hornquist has always been better than Crosby and Malkin, so okay. Dominic Simone was significantly more valuable than Phil's 82 points. Okay. Oh, <laughs> and, by, and by the way, Derek Grant is also more valuable than Phil Kessel. According according to the Evolving Wild goals above placement model. So you take that for what you will. I can't create my own model. I'm not even pretending like I can. (laughs) But at the same time, I don't think I need to know how to create a model to know that Derek... ...than Phil Kessel. It would be really good to know in the modeling... What I think it's penalty differential. I I look at it and like I, I think they overvalue the penalty differential. Well, some... was, well, with Hornquist though, I know he draws a lot of penalties. I know he gets a lot of penalties for Pittsburgh, but he also gets a lot of hack and whack shots on goal in close. Well, we've I think we've talked about that in the past. Like he's not trying to game this Gar system. For... No, no, it just happens that the way <laughs> he doesn't plays, even know it exists. The way um, he plays games it. Like, just the type of player he is gives him statistical bonuses, I suppose, for inside that particular model. And and Kessel just does things... The things that he's bad at, I think, drags him down in, the, in that GAR model more than anything else. So, you, you, you said, I remember one year, somebody was well ahead of Crosby in someone's GAR model... And you just and it might it might be the Hornquist example actually. And he said, if you're going to tell me that Hornquist is more valuable under this model than Crosby, then I can't take it seriously. And that, and like you said, it's not bagging the work involved in it. It's just the way it's compiled in regards to the weighting inside the inside the equation. So you can't. I, you're right because I'm not on board with the Gary. Either. I'm all for all the other statistics that help show you what happens on the ice. But I haven't seen one win above replacement or goals above replacement model that shows me that the best players are the best players and the mid-tier players are mid-tier and the worst players are the worst players consistently through the league. Well, the counterpoint you'll get to that is these models should reshape what you think is that because maybe you're looking at it the wrong way. And there is an argument for that. Agree. that That a good model would make you think twice about some of the players that you had preconceived notions about. But some of these are such gross failures of evaluation that yeah. I, I... Oli Mata and Chris Letang, really? 
Yeah. The Dominic Simone. Now listen, there are a lot of Penguins fans that think Dominic Simone sucks and he does not. Sure. Right now he's tearing up the world championships. He does a lot of things to create scoring chances, and that he did not get a lot of tangible results. But you can fuck right off if you think he's significantly better than Phil Kessel. <laughs> like yeah. significantly. Yeah. I, I don't have the the number numbers here. Value. Dominic Simone's about ten value on this thing, and Phil's a two point two. Uh huh. Malkin is a seven-ish, maybe eight. So Dominic Simone's better than Malkin too on this. Yeah. Do you know who else is better than Malkin? Brian Dumoulin. <laughs> Which, by the way, Brian Dumoulin also not better than Mata, but better than Malkin. So many strange things with this. Yeah. I can't. I can't write about the team every single day and then look at some of this and be like. Yes, I want to question, like, okay, do I have this wrong? But no, like, these are such significant departures from, like, basic logic. I just, no. Yeah. So, it's... This all, this uh, mathematical argument all stemmed from trying to find a positive in the Zucker coming the other way, weren't we? <laughs> and that would be one of them, but I think it's penalty differential that's tipping the scales with that so yeah might be um something that's weighted maybe a little too much but again i can't make a model so i do have respect for those that can create them but i don't have to use them no 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 that's right and it's always good to go back and have a gander at them every now and then to see whether the models been because they all they all admit this they all admit that their work's in progress like it's not like they're saying this is the way it is, and, and this is exactly right. There's always they've always got the no, asterisks next to it. Absolutely, and that's very fair to point out. But I think um, the way the stat in oh, oh goal above replacement or a win above replacement stat in its own right is kind of a catch-all. Like it. It's a culmination of everything, so obviously it's looked at as an end-all, be-all stat because you're kind of baking everything together. Well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it presented that way by a lot of people that maybe didn't make it, but that's the way it's being presented a lot of times. And a lot of the times, I'm just like, because Kucherov wasn't even one of the top players in the league this year based on it. Yeah, which is just crazy when you. You sit down and, and think about it. And, and I'll say it once, I'll say it a million times. Right now, Ryan Stimson's work is what I f- feel as though um, is, is the hard-to-get information that tells me more about what's going on and who's good than pretty much anything else. Uh, I, I could probably take just Ryan's stuff and not have points or anything available to me like in this made up make believe world yeah and and i could probably do okay picking out who's who's good and who's bad Um, because those are the things good players do they create the exits the entries they create the 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 passes uh, from from low to high and across the royal road uh they start transition 
Like that's the stuff that makes players good, and that's what leads to offense. So, um, thankfully, Ryan still got his work out there. And oh, wouldn't you know it? Phil Kessel's in the 90th percentile for <laughs> pretty much everything. Yeah. And Zucker, um, not bad by any stretch, but nowhere even close to um, Phil's ability to pass in transition and do any of that stuff. So. Uh, he's gone. Uh. Yeah. Um, just a matter of when. I, the, the nice thing about the wild trade, which. You know, if Phil's going to go, this might be one of the best looks at getting somewhat decent value back. But if Phil doesn't want to go there, and that's his collectively bargained right, people are... I I foresee this happening. Mm-hmm. Penguins accept a, a trade of lower value, and then motherfuck Phil out the door because he said no to not going to Minnesota because they're three years past being win now. I. It really feels like you could see this happening when, and I hate to hang all this on the Botterill decision in regards to not giving it to Botterill. And Rutherford has done some good things. There's no absolutely no doubt about it. But you have a look at the Carolina team he left behind, and that's Pittsburgh's destiny. Really, that's where they're going to end up. They're going to end up with a mess of a roster that has. No draft picks to build from. They're going to have a bunch of aging guys on longish contracts that are too overpaid, really hard to move out. And, and that, Joe yeah. Corvo at some point in time. <laughs> this is true. And, oh, by the way, he drafted Victor Rask. Well, it's another loop around. Um, it just feels like all I'm saying is that that makes the whoever comes in after him to try and tidy up the mess that they're going to be in really, really hard to, to wash it out and, and move forward. And it's it's not easy when, when you end up in, in that spot. And I, I do wonder how... Like, this team's made enough money that they're not going to get moved, Right. Yeah, yeah, I do. There's, there's sound. I do wonder what happens to the crowds in that city. Same thing it does everywhere around the league. Uh, they go down. Except in Buffalo. Well, yeah, I was going to say you live right next door to Buffalo. Like, the... no, it'll go down because this. I, I don't want it you spoiled and entitled, um, but that's um, what comes to mind. I don't mean it quite in the negative way that that it sounds, but uh, the Penguins fan base has been accustomed to quite a quality product for the last, oh, I don't know, 14 years with Sid and Gino. I mean, even if the team is so-so, Sid and Gino are pretty great. Yeah. After that, there is going to be like a, oh, yeah, well, that was a good run. Fuck it. I'll find something else to do for a little while until Correct. they're good at well, that's the and thing. that's natural. Like, I don't, I wouldn't blame people in Pittsburgh for that. No, like, you've got to work out where you want to spend your entertainment money, dollar. Like, I totally understand that. And being good that long, there's fatigue in it. Like, it's it, it stops feeling special after so long, even though it is. 
Well, those sellouts have definitely got some empty seats now. Yeah, so... Um, You're exactly right about the fatigue. So the wild thing, we'll see what happens. Uh, if it's not the next few days, um, can't imagine it would happen during the Stanley Cup final. The league usually doesn't care for big things during their marquee event. Um, you know, I, I go back to that Schultz and Kessel for Subban trade, and that doesn't sound so bad anymore, does it? No, 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 no. And it, I feel like you'd at least have the possibility of Kessel saying yes to going to Nashville. I would be shocked if that was one of the eight teams. Yeah, but you, you at least feel like you'd go, you know what, Nashville really aren't that far away from having another crack at the cup. And, you know, they're not. No, they're they're a very good team, even though yeah. it was disappointing last year. But um, I would go think about something like that. and But then you get into, well, if Sullivan can't handle Kessel, then how is he going to handle Subban? Yeah, well, that ain't going to happen. That's just that's the reality that you do have to, to bake into the decision, isn't it? And, um, you know, again, I'll point to the Ryan O'Reilly trade. Yeah, great culture, 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 culture. I got to tell you, the the culture in the Penguins' room seemed fine during the two cups. I can't imagine Phil's a different person. So that that's sort of what I'm saying. It's like whatever he was doing while they were winning, obviously right now is what's pissing them off. I guarantee Phil didn't change much. Yeah, that that's the thing. It's not like he's – you look at everywhere he's been, he's pretty much been who he is. His and, on ice, his yeah. personality, like, I'd be very shocked if, if there was a huge change in any of it. But when you're not winning, uh, it's, of course, culture-related, uh, not on ice talent-related with a GM who fucked up the defense core and other depth. Um, it's it's funny. There's, there's aspects of being a general manager that would be ridiculously hard, right? But one of the things that I think is the easiest thing in this job compared to most other jobs that normal people go to is the lack of accountability for your decisions. Like, you go and fuck up other areas of this team, we can just blame somebody else on the roster that we can go and ship out and then go back to manager, go back to your, your boss and say, look, we've shifted because we think this is the best. You know what I mean? Like... Your ability to throw the blame onto others for so long to keep your job is... Well, especially this one. Yeah, like he's amazing. He'll throw, he'll throw anybody under the bus. Yeah. And I just I just get there and go, I do feel like if you could have somebody that had the contact connections around the league for a team that had the tools that Pittsburgh had when Rutherford jumped in... Almost anybody could do this job. I mean... Think about it. Think about it. You and I would get there, and if they've got Sam Ventura there, we would lean heavily on what he would provide us in regards to what's important for players to help you win. You then get there and go, you'd have an assistant general manager um, that has all the contacts, that you know can so that you know you can get in contact with all the guys that you need to get in touch with. This um, isn't fucking the, the Pony size. Express days. It's not hard. I'm like, sure you can get a fucking phone number to text a few GS. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm I saying. I mean, come on. I mean, building rapport, maybe. 
with some of these guys. Are you going to try to get trust? Boys That's the sure. problem. It's an old, old boys club. Maybe they don't want to do business with you, even if the deal makes sense for them. They'll assume that they're getting ripped off. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Just, so yeah, in that part, I... yeah, but... I mean, the Kessel trade, the, the player that we've been really supporting most of this podcast... Uh, Rutherford went out and got him. That, that, that's his crowning achievement yes. with the Penguins, and he's going to undo it. But when did he in go a way, in a way that I don't think makes the team better, and that's fucked up. Moving Kessel, I was always open to it because um, aging curves and stuff like that. But he's he's exceeded any one of my expectations, and I would roll the dice another. I know they're not. I would roll the dice another year on a great offensive um, season and get him away from Johnson, and he probably isn't a black hole the way he was this year. I don't think by any stretch he would ever be good. Maybe average would even be um, wishful ceiling for him defensively at this stage. But, you know, I'd still roll the dice for another year. He's really good, I think, and... The power play that I discussed before, one of their greatest strengths, is because he's a big part of that, especially on the zone entries. I know a lot of people don't like that drop pass a lot of the teams do. I love it. I think it's way more successful than than the old school ones. Um, yeah, when it doesn't work, it looks worse. It's kind of like the Chris Letang stuff. When it doesn't work, it, 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 it looks, looks really bad. bad. Yeah. But most of the time, it's humming along just fine, and, and you take it for granted. Um, fills a huge part of that drop pass breakout, his ability to skate and dish to the side. Um, he's the one that um, can usually push the guys back, get it to Latang, who can then skate it. Or no, Latang brings it up. Drops it, then it usually Kessel. goes to Sidel Kessel we- we will s- and bobs his way through the yep. middle in the center and kicks it to one side or the other to Crosby or Malkin, and then they're in. Phil continues to go hard. So if um, he gets, uh, if Crosby or Malkin get um, a double team, they can kick it down low, and Kessel can be the first one there. It's really great design, and without Kessel, um, you've got maybe Hornquist on one of those sides, and now you're just dumping it in, no matter what happens. Yeah, no, so. it's it's just, yeah, it's it's disappointing that he's going. I've resigned myself to that fact, and I can't go against uh, Mr. McKenzie. So it it does just seem like they've forced themselves into this corner, and that just seems ridiculous. Yeah, it's not really. Um, it's not good. It's you can't fuck up the high end talent. I'm gonna stop buying Penguins jerseys. Every Penguins player I've, I've bought as a jersey, they all get fucking traded. Well, don't buy a Mario one. He'll probably die or something. Oh, I've had that one for a while, and I've okay, had that good. since he finished. So, so we're good there, right? We're safe there. <laughs> I think I've got Mario, Sid, and Gino. Yeah, right. So, you know, I won't get a Jaeger one because... <laughs> oh, sorry. I got Casparitis, too. Of course you've got Casper. Ah, uh, he was my guy. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's a little bit like, oh, good God. 
I, it, it's quite clear that you and I are frustrated that it feels as though this, this window that they had just feels like it's being closed by themselves. It was mangled. A, there, as there opposed was... to injuries or something like that that you can't do much about. Yeah, the 2010-11 nonsense where Malkin and Crosby were out. Yeah. Um, and, and the corpse of Kovalev was back in town. <laughs> Which I had no problem with that trade for nostalgia. Well, <laughs> they weren't, it, it, it was fine. Um, you're right. Um, there was a time where they could have balanced short versus long term. And Rutherford decided it was long term didn't matter. And so be it. Got to own that. But he's also mangling the short term. On uh, the Jack Johnson thing that's been rehashed a million fucking times, it's just such a self-inflicted shotgun wound. Um, the, it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you are going to go all in for that short term, you can't fuck it up in regards to giving yourself the ability to to shift and adjust. If, if you like, you shorten your options to be able to recover. And he doesn't care about the future. That's because he's not going to be around. I, mean, I, I understand that in, in the mentality of what he's done, but he screwed up too many trades. Well, here's the thing. if Let's say you don't get a great Kessel trade. There's nothing with their futures that can help maybe overcome that. Yeah, that's Because they, here's the thing. The only other option the Penguins would have is dumping Kessel for nothing. And getting the cap space, and then maybe going out and getting a Zuccarello, or maybe, you know, shocking people and getting like a Duchesne. Would you not try and get Carlson? My point being, <laughs> get the cap space and take a yeah. run at a win now player. Yeah. Because they don't save any cap space with this Minnesota one. No, and that the other you're downgrading thing that... from Kessel. Yeah, you're out of Johnson's, but Rask comes at a higher price. Sucks and... just as bad as at his um, uh, respective position. He's slow too. He's not. He's it's like a. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so unless, of course, you spend that cap space on like a Michael Furland. Well, that's a different argument again. But you you are sitting there. Going if you you run the hole, let's just dump the Kessel cap space. You're great. So now you've got what, just under ten to try and sign somebody, and you go all right. So we've got a, a fairly few good options here. You're still no guarantee to sign the fuckers. So well, you, you don't make a Kessel trade until after. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm just saying that if there's no draft picks involved, like you don't have to rush it at the draft. You can get to that um, talking period. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the week. So there's that, but um, I don't know. I know it's not on the table, but there is always that option of just kind of keeping the guy <laughs> until you trade him. You still have him. Yeah, I I would love to think that Rutherford's outsmarted all of this, including the Bob Father. And um, he's using all of this as a smokescreen yeah, to, six, a, to secretly like... to secretly shuffle off Hornquist. Just, oh, we don't need to trade Phil anymore. We got rid of Hornquist. So, but that's not going to um, happen. <laughs> do you have um, anything else on Phil? 
No. No, no, no. I'm tapped out. Um, we do have a Stanley Cup final, but I am heading out the door. Do you have a pick for the Stanley Cup final? Uh, St. Louis. Okay. I am going to go with Boston. I think they have just as many uh, scoring forwards, especially um, the top. Wow, that top line's amazing. Yeah. Um, and Rask being um, a better bet than Bennington. So I'm going to go with Boston. They've been one of the best teams the entire year, with the Blues obviously uh, being in dead last in January and then being one of the best teams in the league. Um, I don't. I, I want. I want the Blues to win, even though I'm not picking them, because I, I just think it's nice to have a city get their first um, yeah. cup. I also think it's great when losers like Ryan O'Reilly magically win. <laughs> <laughs> um. The only way I'd want a Boston win is if it's in overtime, it ends the cup, and it is Zdeno Chara flying through the air like Bobby Orr did 49 <laughs> years ago against the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't break his hip, but I, <laughs> that would be a sight to see. That's okay. I'll Pietrangelo tripping him as he scores the game-winning goal. Um, but if Zdeno Chara what did end up getting horizontal in the slot, he, he might actually be like a foot away from running into the sideboards. <laughs> yeah, it's a he'd be doing or he'd be doing it from the boards. It's one or the other. He's either headbutting him or he's launching himself from the corner. So, um, you know, we were a little thin on our Stanley Cup final preview, but I'm pretty sure most of you listening still at this point. Um, we're way more interested in our takes on Kessel and the Penguins. So, yeah. So unless this ends up being like all of the Eastern Conference and, and Boston lose four zip, um, we'll end up in the conf- we'll end up in the Stanley Cup at some point. So mm-hmm. we'll be able to discuss it then anyway. Former Penguin David Perron playing in back to back finals. It's the Marion Hosa effect. I like David Backus' story coming uh, back to St. They got to be a little bittersweet for him. Well, I think Petriangelo, um, God, I butchered that. Um, texted him and said, "I guess we'll, we'll we'll be friends after the next two weeks." Yeah, and Backus hasn't replied back to him. <laughs> that's good. So it um, is. Uh, I suppose that's where uh, that's where we'll leave things. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, yada yada. Um, happy Memorial Day weekend for those in the United States. Kick off the summer. Always, uh, always a great weekend. So uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.